proud of this game, and you can do a great deal for football today. The whole tradition of the National Football League, there's just certain things that go together, the family, football, and we have it all today. Time never really stops for the great ones. It reaches out and wraps them in a cloak of immortality. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the NFL Alumni Lounge. I'm your host, Charlie Boots, and I'm beyond excited to be bringing this new show to you. Week after week, we'll be joined by some of the greatest in the game, NFL alumni, Pro Football Hall of Famers, celebrities, to bring you inside thoughts, lessons, and memories from the gridiron. Our inaugural episode here is being presented by Spring-Loaded Technology and the Spring-Loaded Knee Brace, the best to get the bounce back in your step. And it's only right that for episode one, we have number one joining us. A man who has broken down countless barriers, a hero on the gridiron, a hero off the field. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to be bringing on as the first guest of the NFL Alumni Lounge, the man from the moon, Mr. Warren Moon. Warren, how are you? I am great, Charlie. How are you doing today? Great to talk to you. How could we not be good when the legend steps into the Alumni Lounge and Warren we decided to start the show with you, not because you wore number one, but because you exemplify what a star is on the field and off the field. It's something you always understood. You're really uh, correct about that, and uh, I had the I had the pleasure to play this game uh, for so many years. A game that I loved as a young kid, and uh, but I also saw that this game could afford me to do a lot of things for a lot of other people as well. So. I got the best out of both of it. I, I played something that I loved and, and enjoyed. I, I played it at a very, very high level. Uh, I was able to take care of my family and friends around me because of uh, the wealth that it, that it provides you. But you're also able to, to, you know, take advantage of uh, of what the game can do for helping other people and and uh, creating uh, causes and and helping causes uh, by what you're able to do on the field. So it was it's, it was a great game for me for a long time. And a lot of people benefited because of it. Absolutely. 1991, man of the year. Everything you've done off the field has been incredible, especially your work with the Crescent Moon Foundation. When you talk to younger players, what do you tell them about the importance of getting involved with the community they're in? Well, I talk to them about, first of all, guys that come out of communities, especially like myself, uh, your community does so much to, to help you get to where you get to, uh, whether it's, you know, playing in Little League uh, organizations, playing in Pop Warner football, playing in basketball leagues, uh, whether you're involved in the Cub Scouts or the Boy Scouts or whether you have a boys club or girls club in your community, there's something in your community has helped you get to where you are as a, as a professional athlete because you can't do it by yourself. So I always tell them that because your community was able to do so much for you to get you to where you are right now, uh, you should try and give back to that community uh, if you ever get to the stage where you can. So uh, that, that's kind of what the message was, and, and that's the, one of the reasons why I did what I did, because I would have never gotten out of the the uh, environment that I, I lived in if it wasn't for a lot of community organizations that my mother got me involved in. And, and uh, so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to give back to communities, because I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for those communities. And you came up in a large household, all sisters, four sisters, and you lost your father young. What was it like coming up as a man, and how did youth sports and recreation sports help to shape you as a child? 
Yeah, mostly it was sports. I mean, you know, my mom, because my dad died, wanted me to be around a lot of other boys and a lot of other men. So uh, that's one of the reasons why she got me involved in sports at a very, very young age, playing little league baseball, uh, playing basketball, also playing uh, organized football, uh, just to get me around, you know, male mentor types because I didn't, there wasn't a lot of men in my house. I had six sisters and my mom, and then there was me. So, so that's, that was a way to get me out of the house, get me around other grown men who could be like mentors to me. And, uh, but I also was involved in Bible school at my, uh, at my church. So just things like that, all those type of, um, community efforts were, were things that kept me in very, very positive environments and kept me out of some of the negative environments that I lived around in South Central Los Angeles. So as, as I grew up and, and, and saw uh, and, and learned and became more mature, I understood exactly what, why she was doing what she was doing, and, and it really worked out well. And I enjoyed all those environments that I was involved in uh, to, the, to the utmost, and, I, and I'm so glad she did that for me. That's why I always call my mom my biggest heroes, because she sacrificed so much to not only for myself but also my sisters as well to make sure our lives were successful even though we went through some you know some tragic stuff with my father passing away so early wow and you come up in that house all girls around you everywhere you turn warren all girls but we've heard that that magnificent grooming of your nails could have been the secret to one of the tightest spirals in league history is there any truth to that that became uh, the, the secret grooming, and uh, I think really um, it really did help my grooming growing up. I was very meticulous about you know how I dressed, um, being or around all those women as, as a young kid growing up. I knew how to cook, I knew how to bake, I knew how to sew, I knew how to iron my clothes and take care of myself. So that was something that really became beneficial to me when I got to. When I went away to college and, and lived out on my own, went up to Canada and lived on my own, I could really take care of myself. Most of the guys always wanted to come over to my house because they knew there was going to be a good meal being cooked by me. So um, it was definitely beneficial uh, in those ways growing up around a lot of women for my grooming and that. And, and yeah, my nails was part of that. I watched my sisters, how they would how they would file their nails and, and paint their nails and all that. I, I never got to the point of painting my nails, but I definitely <laughs> kept them clipped and all that. <laughs> There it is. From the man himself. Fellas, ladies, you want to throw the ball 80 yards like the legend Warren Moon? Tight grooming on the fingers. Now, Warren, we see guys nowadays get into business deals off the field worth more than they're making on the field. The business is incredible now. But it seems like you always kind of knew that was coming. You had Warren Moon cookies which was a huge trendsetter. So did you always see that business boom coming? I, I kind of did, and my attorney, Lee Steinberg, also helped me see that as well, um, that that if you had the right name recognition and if you had a, a good business idea and philosophy and then you had good organization around you, uh, you could do well in business. And uh, I got the idea for the chocolate chip cookies because my mom taught me to bake when I was in high school, and um, I, I came up with a pretty good uh cookie recipe even years after that as I added to that that recipe and and then I was re really infatuated with uh, famous Amos cookies he was a you know an African-American gentleman who had this great uh, chocolate chip cookie that that he um, marketed and 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 sold in stores and I love those but I thought mine could even be better and and then once I saw uh, Mrs. Fields who started her cookie company in, in Utah 
and she was doing it more like in malls and things like that. Fresh baked cookies, not famous Amos, were were more um, mass produced in in packages and, and sold in, in supermarkets. But I like the idea of, of fresh chocolate chip cookies being baked right on the spot, and that's what Mrs. Fields was doing. So I felt like there was a a void for that when I went to Canada because there wasn't a Mrs. Fields or anything like that up there. So that's why I got the idea to start my cookie company when I was in plan in Canada. So it wasn't just the NFL. You wanted to give old Tim Horton a run for his money too, huh? <laughs> yeah, Tim was more into the donuts and coffee, but uh, I had the cookie market, especially there in, in Edmonton. It was, a, it was a fun thing to be involved in at a very young age in my life. I was, you know, what, 23 years old and had my own business. Um, but it also was a lot of work, especially when you're trying to establish yourself as a professional football player. And how about that? Weeks before the NFL draft, you make the decision to go up to Canada and sign with the Eskimos and the CFL. What is going through a young man's head making a decision that huge? You know, again, Lee Steinberg was a was a big advisor to me um, as my agent at that time. So we kind of went through the pros and cons, and that's how he kind of uh, – you know, it helped me uh, make decisions on a lot of things that I did. What are the pros of what you want to do on this decision, whatever that w- decision was going to be, and what were the cons of it? So we kind of went through a, a whole list of things, and and uh, the pros, you know, came out that I should sign in Canada because of the opportunity that was pro- provided for me based off of his um, his research was telling him from the NFL that they weren't going to probably draft me as a quarterback, and if I got drafted at all. And, and I was adamant about wanting to play quarterback because I felt like I could play at a high level if I was given the opportunity. And, and I just said to myself, whoever's going to give me that opportunity to play quarterback, that's where I want to play. I, and I, I think I made the comment that if if they had a team in Siberia and they wanted to sign me, I was going to go there and play because I knew I could play the, the position. I loved the position. I had played it since I was 10 years old. And I had a lot of success at that position. You know, I was just coming off of being the Pac-8 Player of the Year and the Rose Bowl's Most Valuable Player and made some All-American teams. And, and here we are. I can't even get a chance to, to uh, show what I can do in the NFL. So uh, that's why I decided to go to Canada. And, and um, their, their season started a little bit earlier than the NFL, and their draft was a little bit earlier. So I had to make the decision, do I give up the NFL draft, which was all, always a dream of mine to be drafted in the NFL, or do I go to Canada to a, a country that I didn't know anybody and didn't know much about the game, but they were going to let me play the position I wanted to play? And it was a tough decision, but I, I went with the um, I went with the decision to go to Canada because I wanted to play the position. And he continues on the lifelong path of shattering barriers everywhere he turned. Where did that no quit mentality come from? You was that from your mom? Where'd you get that? I think it was, you know. Um, just because I saw how she handled when my dad passed away, you know, a lot of people, uh, I'm sure, if if their husband passed and they, you know, they, here they are sitting there with seven seven children and, and no husband, you know, they could give up. Um, they could, uh, you know, let things fall through the wayside, or they could try and live off the government or whatever. But my mother didn't do that. She, uh, she, you know, pulled up her pants, went back to school, reeducated herself, became a private duty nurse. And uh, we worked double shifts, and she always had hot food on our table every every night for dinner. We always had clean clothes on our back, and I saw how she managed everything that we had. We lived in a very, very small house, but it was meticulous. Everything had a place for it. It was immaculately clean. Um, 
so I watched how she worked, and I watched all these things she did to keep our family together, and I think that's where I got the determination, a lot of the determination I got. And it also motivated me to say, one day, if, I, if I'm able to do what I really want to do, I can take care of my mom so she won't have to work like this anymore. That is beautiful. And not only nine-time Pro Bowler, five-time Grey Cup winner, 49,000-plus yards in the league. But Mr. Moon is also a celebrated chef. Take us off of the gridiron and on to the grill. When you step in the kitchen, what is your favorite dish to throw down? <laughs> uh, you know, I just I go with what I, what I feel that day. You know, it, it really um, is really not one thing that I love. I do love to get out on the grill, though. Um, especially because when I lived in Texas, you know, grilling was huge down there. In wow. Texas barbecue, you can't beat it. Uh, and I had a, a specially made grill uh, when I built a house down there. This grill was amazing. I hated that when I left uh, Houston, I had to leave that grill behind in, in that house because the people that bought the house wanted to make sure that grill was part of it. But um, uh, that was something that I had a specialty for, just grilling all different types of meat, and then you make all the different type of sides behind or behind it or around it. Uh, but I love cooking Southern food, um, so that w- that would probably be one of my favorites to to cook all the time. Just anything Southern, whether it's macaroni and cheese or collard greens or cabbage or or sweet potatoes or or uh, fried chicken or any- anything like that around it. Um, I love I love cooking. Folks, you got to deal with the realities of gravity after a big meal at the Moon Man's house. That could slow down a guy like Earl Campbell before a game, couldn't it? <laughs> No, I definitely wouldn't serve anything like that before game day. But on off day, no question about it. I, everything rolls. But um, I, I loved uh, I loved entertaining. You know, I, I had lots of uh, you know really good barbecues and and fun parties at my house. I built my house based off of uh, an entertainment type of lifestyle. It was very very open. Uh, a lot of room. Uh, just a lot of a lot of. Uh, fun you know that happened in my house because i love to entertain people and and kind of you know just share the the wealth that i had with all my friends and family and as one of the all-time great nfl entertainers when you were a young man coming up who were your favorite entertainers or athletes who did you look up to well i grew up in los angeles of course so i was a big rams fan and uh also a big Lakers fan, big Dodger fan. So anybody that played on those teams, like Roman Gabriel, was the, was the quarterback of the Rams when I was a young kid. He was an Indian. Uh, he was, you know, uh, a minority. So he was somebody that I could look to as a uh, role model. That hey, he's he's my a minority player playing quarterback in the NFL. Maybe there's a chance for me to play that one day. And then over at USC, uh, Jimmy Jones was an African American quarterback playing at, at USC, and he was another guy that I said. You know, this guy's gonna. He's a major college quarterback, and and maybe I can get to be a major college quarterback one day because of the way Jimmy Jones plays. And and then I loved Roger Staubach because I was a big Cowboys fan as well, outside of um of, of being a Rams fan. And I just loved the way he played the game at quarterback. You know, he could run, he could throw. Um, he was one of those guys that uh, could make big plays down the stretch in football games. And uh, you know he was his his life off the field was perfect too as well. He was you know he's a Christian guy. He was um, celebrated uh, war veteran. So he just he was just a very well rounded person. So he was somebody I really looked up to as well, Roger Staubach. And with a set of guys like that, what did it feel like the day your phone rang and you heard you were headed to Canton 
to be an immortal in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and not only a Hall of Famer, but the first ever African-American quarterback to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. How did that feel? Man, it was it was uh, one of the most one of the most emotional days of my life. Um, first of all, just even being considered uh, in your first year coming out of the NFL, because you don't you don't go into the game thinking that uh, you're going to be a Hall of Famer. You don't you don't set a goal that I'm going to go in to be a Hall of Famer. At least I didn't, and, and every guy that I've talked to has never said that. They, you kind of look at Hall of Famers when you come into the league as as guys that are God that are untouchable. You know that. You know, guys like like uh, Roger Staubach or like a Bart Starr or like a uh, Johnny Unitas, all, all these type guys at the quarterback position, Joe Namath. You you don't think you could ever get to that that stage or that level. What you want to do is is set a goal to to make a football team, to try and have as long a career as you possibly can, and, and hopefully have as much success as you can. So that's what I wanted to get out of playing in the NFL, especially me at the time. When I had already served six years up in Canada, I didn't know how much longer I was going to be able to play in the NFL, so I just wanted to make the most of that. So to be able to uh, be considered for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in my first year out, it was it was a very emotional day when it was time for for the selection day. I remember I did a a, a young kids uh, quarterback camp uh, the morning of the of the uh, selection on that Saturday, and I happened to be in Detroit because I was doing, you know, the broadcast for the Seattle Seahawks who were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers in that Super Bowl. So uh, I was already there. And I remember my uh, my presenter, uh, John McClain, who worked for the Houston Chronicle, he was the one selling my case to all the presenters in the, uh, in the voting. And uh, he called me on the phone uh, early that afternoon and said, Warren, I think you need to come down to where the, uh, the press conference is going to be for the Pro Football Hall of Fame because I think you have a good chance of making it. You're in the finals. And I'm like, John, I don't think I want to come down there because if I don't make it, I'm going to be very, very embarrassed if, if I'm standing around down there and, and I don't make it even though I did get to the finals. Because a lot of guys have made it to the finals many times but still didn't get selected. So I went back and forth with my wife whether I should go down there or not. And, uh, uh, we decided, okay, we're going to go down there. So we get in the car and I'm driving down the freeway and it's, it's kind of half snowing and, and, uh, sleeting outside. And I get a call on the phone and, uh, the call is from a lady from the NFL that, that, uh, I had asked about some tickets for a tailgate party for some friends of mine. And she told me that she got me the tickets and, and then she said, and by the way, congratulations on being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I just saw it come across the TV on the NFL network that you, you, you were selected. And I'm like, nobody's told me. And, uh, and she said, well, let me get off the phone. And, and, and so I got off the phone with her and right away my phone rang and I guess they were trying to get a hold of me. And uh, that's when they told me, uh, right after she told me the news already th- that I had been selected. And, uh, man, I got so emotional as I was driving my car. I started to just cry like a baby. My wife had to take the wheel of the car. We had to pull over to the side. It was just one of the m- most emotional moments of my uh, of my life to have everything that I had gone through from a young kid growing up, all the different doors that have been closed in my face, all that just came pouring out of my body at that time. Oh, my God. I got goosebumps on both of my arms right now. It was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, and like I said, it, it was something that I'll always remember, uh, especially getting that phone call from uh, a secretary that told me, but also getting the official call right after that. Jeez. Who was the first person you wanted to call and give the news to? 
mom, of course, um, because, you know, she had been such an integral part of my life and my career. And uh, everybody was on pins and needles all day uh, in my family. I kept getting calls from, you know, sisters and 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 friends of mine. I'm like, you, you guys have to stay off the phone. Now. I'm waiting for this call to come, and I can't be on the phone if and uh, if if uh, and I can't get the call if you guys are on the phone talking to me. So everybody kind of understood and tried to stay away, but you know, you, people just can't help it. They were as curious about it as I was, but uh, it was it was fine. It was just finally. Uh, what a blessing when it finally happened, and, and to have it happen in your first year of, uh, of eligibility, that doesn't happen very much either. So there was only—I forgot what the number was at that time of, of first-year Hall of Famers. It was something like, I think, 35 guys only had had that happen. So I, I felt in very, very good company. And well deserved is an understatement for you. You're such a good guy, man. Who for you in the world of sports? Who were the pillars for you as? This is how I want to hold myself, or was it just you know something that you always had in your head? You know, when I was uh, when I was in Pop Warner, all of our coaches were a lot of them were uh, L.A. Uh, policemen, um, wow. and th- those were the guys that coached us. So one of my uh, my second year coach, where I first started qu- playing quarterback, was a guy by the name of Joe Ruzan, and he he became the uh, the chief of police uh, of Inglewood, California, and then. Um, uh, Coach Parks also was uh, came came became the uh, chief of police of of, um, of L.A. of the L.A. Police Department and also was on the city council. So those guys were uh, really big pillars for me when I was playing Pop Warner football. And then when I went to high school, Jack Epstein was my high school coach, and and I didn't play a whole lot as a, a, a tenth grader, a sophomore, because the coach uh, he just didn't have a real good liking for me for for a lot of different reasons. So um, Jeff Steen, the varsity football coach, though, you used to see me working out all the time. And, and uh, I was working out the spring before I was going to be a junior. And he came up to me and, and put his arm around me and walked me around the track and told me how he wanted me to be a starting varsity quarterback the next year. So he had a lot of, of confidence and faith in me, having just watched me and the way I handled everything as a sophomore quarterback. Um, and uh, so he, he was a huge influence on me. And then my college coach, Don James, when I went to University of Washington, a lot of colleges weren't recruiting me as a, as a quarterback, uh, especially at, at teams that threw the football. But uh, he saw and believed in me as a quarterback as well and, and stuck with me through some very tough times early in my career at the University of Washington. So Don James played a huge role in my uh, in my early development as well. That's really cool to hear you talk about coming up and being coached by the police because that's how a lot of the sports leagues were. Most of the sports leagues were around the country in those days, the PAL leagues and the police coaching the local teams. How important or how cool do you think it would be to see that come back in regard to the relationship with some of our cities and the police department? Yeah, I think that's something we need to get back to as well, and, and I think that will help uh, that relationship between communities and the police. That that I had a great respect for policemen when I was a young kid. I didn't look at them as being, you know, calling them names like some people call them today, and I looked at them as as protectors to um, uh, to to what our our communities were all about. You know, when our policemen came through our neighborhoods, you know, we knew we knew a lot of them. We waved at them when they came by, and. It wasn't like we were nervous or scared every time they came by. We we felt like they were our security blankets. But we've kind of gotten away from that, and and I think that's where that 
that uh, relationship between communities and policemen has, has kind of fallen down, and I think that's something that will maybe help bridge some of that gap between communities and, and police officers so that so you can have that same type of um, feeling about the police, that, that, that they're good guys and they're looking out for you, even though we've had some very tragic situations that have happened over the years um, with, some, with some senseless police killings. Um, a lot of that has to do with some of the fear they have of, of some of the citizens, and a lot of it has some of the fear that we have is uh, what we have against policemen. So we need to get something, do something to get that relationship back so there's a little bit more comfort. Absolutely. I think that would be a major step in a great direction. Now, as a guy that's always thought even-keeled, you were always able to sit back and analyze things even-keeled. When you're up in Canada and you're winning and winning and winning, how did you keep from becoming bitter at the way that the NFL and the country at the time was looking at the black quarterback? Well, that, the key word you said was winning. And when you're winning, it, it really smooths over a lot of the different uh, uh, negativity that you have going on inside your inside your mind. Because, you know, I went to Canada and... I had a great experience up there, uh, no doubt about it. I met great people up there. I learned a new culture. Uh, my first son was born up in Canada. Uh, I had tremendous winning up there. I made pretty good money for myself at a very, very young age in my life. So it was basically all positive. But, again, you have to remember, my my dream was a kid was to play in the NFL. And here I am watching NFL games on television, I'm, but I'm up here in Canada, you know, you know kind of dominating this league. And, and every time I'm watching a game, I'm looking and putting myself out on the field saying, you know, I could do what, what this guy is doing or I, I could do what that guy is doing. But until you actually do it, you still have that curiosity in your mind, can you do it? And and that was always burning inside of me uh, all the years that I was playing up there. And when I first went up there, my first three years, I was, you know, I was single. So I was alone and, and I was, I felt like uh, homesick a lot of times, especially when you're home at night in the evening and it's, it's getting into the, the late fall where we're getting towards the playoffs and it's cold as hell up there and, and uh, you're by yourself. You do get a little bit of you know, homesickness. Uh, but, um, again, the winning is what made everything okay because when you, when you win a football game or when you win a championship, it kind of erases everything because that's what you play the game for. You play it to win and you play it to win championships. And we were doing that every year. So it was hard for me to really complain. But again, I still had that curiosity. How good am I as a quarterback unless I play against the best in the world? And the best in the world were down here in my country, and that's where I kind of really wanted to be. So now fast forward to signing with the Houston Oilers and putting on the powder blue, probably one of the most beautiful uniforms in NFL history, going into your first game. How'd that feel? Yeah, that was uh, a dream come true. Everybody, people always ask me, what is your most uh, exciting moment in the NFL? I said, the day I signed that first contract, because I had to wait you know, another six years to, to sign my deal compared to a lot of guys who come right out of college and, and sign their first contract. Right. Um, but to put on that uniform and strap it up against the uh, – my first game was against the L.A. Raiders, believe it or not. And they had just won the Super Bowl championship, so they were the defending champions. And, um, man, it was it was quite a day. We were in the Astrodome, and the Astrodome was rocking, and, and we held our own against it. We had a very, very young football team. We were kind of rebuilding because it was a team that had gone 2-14 and 14, uh, the last two years prior to me getting there, so there was a lot of rebuilding to do. But we ended up losing the game, I think, 21-17. I threw a couple of touchdown passes. 
uh, took a tremendous beating that day too from guys like Lal Alzado and Howie Long and and John Jones. I mean, those guys were thumping me all day long, but I held my own and gained a lot of respect from from not only the Raider players who came over to me after the game, but also my own team for the way I hung in there. Oh, that had to feel good. And when you were in Canada, were there NFL teams reaching out to you all the time to play for them? Yeah, there were always scouts at our games. Uh, my biggest problem is I was under contract and. And every time uh, my contract came around, if, if there wasn't an NFL team really like uh, making a big pitch at me, then I went ahead and signed another deal up in Canada to stay there because they were giving me good, good, uh, good money. And I really enjoyed playing up there. There's no question about it. It wasn't like I was in a hurry to leave. And at one point, I thought I was going to play my whole career up there. But after I had so much success so early, then you get to a point where you need new challenges and. So I was able to get out of the last year of my contract uh, once teams started really um, uh, showing big-time interest in me because I was a free agent at that time where there wasn't any free agency. So I got a chance to pick and choose wherever I wanted to play. And I wanted to make sure I got myself into a bidding situation uh, where there were multiple teams wanting my services. And, and that's what finally happened in that last year. I had six teams that wanted to sign me. And so it became, it became a big bidding war for my services. And I ended up being the highest paid player in the league um, coming out of Canada because of that bidding opportunity that Lee Steinberg put me in. And that's one of the reasons I chose Houston, because they, they gave me the best financial package of all the teams that were um, bidding on my services. One of the best financial packages and some of the best food in the United States down there in Houston. Now, what's the deal up in Canada, Chef? Why is every why do they put ketchup on everything? Why do they put- <laughs> well, they they use a lot of gravy, believe it or not. Like they they like French fries instead of ketchup. They want French fries and gravy, which which makes sense because it's just potatoes and gravy. But it's just a, a French fry instead of uh, instead of. <laughs> mashed potatoes or, or something like that but yeah it, the food was a little bit different up there there was some really good things i enjoyed they had some of the best french onion soup that you ever you know you ever want to uh, eat they they ate a lot of escargot up there and you know they had that whole french uh, cuisine going along with it because half the country was french and half of it was uh, spoke Spanish, i mean spoke um, english and uh, so you got a lot of really, really good food up there, but it was different, no question about it. Oh, he was ready for ribs, guys. He was ready to head home. <laughs> yeah, the only place I could really find ribs was when we went to Montreal. There was this place called the Barbie Barn, and uh, we always looked forward to going to play Montreal. So we'd go to the Barbie Barn before we played the night before we played the game to get some ribs. How sweet it is. Now, Warren, here at the NFL Alumni, a huge topic all the time is finding your career and your niche after the game of football. After your Hall of Fame career, you go on to have an incredible career in the booth as a broadcaster. Was life after the field always something in your head, or did you just take that as it came? Yeah, that was uh, one of the things Lee Steinberg sold me on when he was recruiting me coming out of college. Not so much about what he could do for me uh, on my contract and while I was an NFL player, but how you set up your life and use football as a stepping stone for the rest of your life. Because if you really look at it, uh, the average uh, the average years of a, a player's uh, service in the NFL is only three and a half years. Now, a lot of guys play longer than that, but some guys play shorter than that. So if, you, if you're able to get a six, seven, eight-year career, which would be a great, and in my mind, I'm thinking if I could play 10 years, that's great. I'm 31 years old at that time. You know, that would be retirement age for me and have a 10 year career coming out of college at 21. 
so what do you do the rest of your life, you know? And, and okay, I was able to play longer than that, but still, when you retire, if you're 35 years old, what do you do with the rest of your life? So that's why you use football as a stepping stone for the rest of your life. So you create these opportunities. You create relationships while you're playing. Uh, he taught me how to, to save all the business cards of the people that I meet. Um, getting involved in the community was something that was important because those are people that could help you when the game is over and you're, while you're helping them uh, while you're being able to play the game. So uh, I did a great job of networking while I played the game, and I also – dabbled in a lot of different things in the off season to see exactly what I wanted to do once I got done playing the game. So I, I did some broadcasting. I, I did sideline reporting for NBA basketball. I did uh, commercial real estate. I did a lot of different things just to see w what I might want to be involved in. And, and being an entrepreneur was something that I always thought about, too. And that's why the uh, the, the cookie business came along, because you, you, you sometimes want to be your own boss if you possibly can. And so football allowed me to be able to do those things in the off season, just to kind of see what I wanted to do when my career was over. Fortunately for me, I played a lot longer than most players do, so I went all the way to I was 44 years old before my second career started. But again, uh, I was ready when I when I uh, retired that I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and that's why I went into broadcasting right away, and then also had the businesses while I played. Wow, yeah, career distances like that, folks, are strictly reserved for Warren Moon and George Blanda. George, a former oiler as well. Two timeless legends right there. Now, if there's a kid listening to this interview anywhere around the country or in your hometown of L.A., what is the most valuable piece of advice you could give them for life or life in sports? I think uh, work ethic is is the biggest uh, key for me. Uh, I was I just was able to work harder than everybody else. I came from a, a neighborhood in, in Los Angeles, and where I played in a lot of different uh, leagues, baseball, basketball, football. Where there were a lot of talented players, but a lot of those guys had more talent than me, but didn't have the work ethic that I had. So I think the amount of work you put into anything you do, whether it's sports, whether it's school, whether it's uh, trade, whatever it is, the more you're going to get out of it. So work ethic to me was important and also setting your goals really, really high. I learned to set my goals in, in college. Uh, my college coach, Don James, taught us the importance of goal setting and not just long-term goals, but but short-term goals and intermediate goals. And you always want to take a look at those goals and kind of you know, redefine them based off of what's, what's going on in your life at that time. So goal setting and work ethic were the two things that were most important to me as far as making me successful. You sure had a lot of success out there. You've had a lot of time on the field, too, with a lot of great athletes that also enjoyed success. Which teammate through all those years really made you say, wow, my mind is blown by this guy's abilities? Mm, God, I played with some very, very talented guys. Earl Campbell is one guy that comes to mind just because Earl wasn't a huge workout guy. He wasn't a huge weight room guy. He wasn't a huge uh, uh, conditioning guy or anything like that. He just had this natural ability, and uh, you saw it on display, the way he could run over people, the way he could run away from people, uh, the stamina that he had to be able to carry the ball 30 times in a football game, and, and teams knew he was going to carry it every play, and he still got it and still made yards. Uh, 
uh, he was somebody that really was a phenom to me. You know, it, it, it showed up later in his career, uh, not being a big workout guy, that he didn't last as long as, as some other players. But I tell you what, for a guy on working on natural ability for his first six years in the NFL, uh, he was somebody that really amazed me the way he was able to take the, the pounding and, and the uh, the punishment that he took, but also he dished it out. Campbell and Moon, folks, that's more famous than Batman and Robin right there. What a duo. That was one of the CFL's most iconic players. That was a secondary league and a strong one. We're about to see another one of your former teammates, Oliver Luck, debut the XFL. Uh, do you think we'll ever find success in a secondary sports league? And how important do you think some a secondary sports league is for the game of football? I'm rooting for the uh, the XFL to make it. Uh, one because Oliver's a good friend of mine. He's a guy that's very very intelligent. You know, he was a commissioner of uh, NFL Europe, which was very very important to uh, right. as a feeder league for the NFL back in the days when he was running that league and and. Uh, you know, players like Kurt Warner were in that league, or guys like Brad Johnson, and and so many others that got a chance to play in that league and helped helped kind of refine their careers because they weren't quite ready for the NFL, and it gave them that chance to to uh, to get some grooming in the off season, to get some snaps, to go through the experience that you need to go through as a quarterback and all the other positions. Um, and, and that's why those guys were able to make it in the NFL and go on and play in Super Bowls and win Super Bowls. So there's no question a feeder league is needed because there's a lot of guys that are maybe not ready to play in the NFL right away. Maybe they're young and, and don't get enough reps when they do get a chance to go to a camp and just need a little bit more fine-tuning, just like you have in baseball where they have the uh, the minor leagues or you have in basketball they have the D League and the Continental League, places where guys can go and, and get that re- that grooming that they need. The NFL needs that as well. So I'm rooting for the XFL because it's going to help uh, just continue to keep developing players. It also continues to develop coaches, uh, trainers, equipment people, all these people that need opportunities to uh, refine their craft so they can make it to the big time in the NFL. So I'm really rooting for this league to be successful. Absolutely. And Warren, we cannot thank you enough for coming here and getting the NFL Alumni Lounge open in style for our inaugural episode, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you having me on. Next time I'm going to have to come to the Legends Lounge in person so I can have a little cocktail while we do one of these. Oh, we would be honored. And you know the jazz music will be over the moon when the moon man steps into the lounge. No question about it. I look forward to that as well. Jazz is something about my dad... Uh, the, the few memories I do have about my dad were he loved jazz music and introduced me that at, to that at a very, very young age, five, six, seven years old. I knew about a lot of the different jazz artists way back then. So what correlates more to the game of football, jazz music or cooking? You know, I think they kind of go hand in hand, and it, it really works that way for me today. Um, I love being able to create a meal Put on some jazz music, maybe have a glass of wine, and, 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 and you know, cook some type of meal that I, I feel like cooking that particular day. And and it's the same thing when I played football. I used to listen to jazz before games in in my uh, in my earphones. Uh, a lot of guys were listening to you know rock and and R&B and whatever, and I'm listening to jazz, something that's going to really chill me out. I didn't want to be hyped up for a game. I wanted to be chilled out and and composed and have that even keel you talked about that I have, and jazz music did that for me. 
and then being able to maybe go home after a game and cook a meal, that was something that really relaxed me as well. Oh, man, one of the greatest all-time, one of the coolest all-time, and I'm proud to call him the inaugural guest right here on the NFL Alumni Lounge, Mr. Warren Moon. Warren, thanks again. Thanks a lot for having me, Charlie. Appreciate it. Well, special thank you to Warren Moon and cheers to the Crescent Moon Foundation for all the great work they continue to do. He's a Hall of Famer and always a stellar representation of the NFL alumni and what we can hope to be after the time on the gridiron to make an impact in the lives of others off the field. Thanks to Spring-Loaded Technology and the Spring-Loaded Technology Knee Brace for getting us off on a good foot, no pun intended. But if you guys are having any knee problems, be sure to check them out. For more details, visit NFLalumni.org. And don't forget to subscribe to the NFL Alumni Lounge on Spotify, Apple, and all major podcast platforms so you never miss a beat and you're always up to date with what we got going on. You can also follow us on social media at NFL Alumni on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Charlie Boots, and it is my pleasure to get the NFL Alumni Lounge officially open. The lights are on, and everybody's home, folks. We'll see you here next week with another action-packed conversation. Till then, cheers. Cheers.